You're listening to the SSPX podcast. This is a series of conferences given by Father Thomas Asher of the Society of St. Pius X on the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's meant to be seen as a private retreat, a retreat that you can do while you're sheltering in place or at your house, perhaps with some extra time. For more conferences, resources such as downloadable uh, instructions and information about Holy Week, as well as live mass times, please visit corona.sspx.online. Or for all of our conferences, please visit sspxpodcast.com. Now here's Father Asher. So today we're going to be looking at our Lord um, taking a meal in the home of Mary and Martha. If in the previous meditation we saw how our Lord dealt with sinners, looking at the sinful women, we're seeing how he's dealing here with the holy women and how these holy women treat our Lord. So this episode is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 25 to 42. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up tempting him and saying, Master, what must I do to possess eternal life? But he said to him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? He answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart, and with thy whole soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said to him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among robbers, who also stripped him, and having wounded him, went away, leaving him half dead. And it chanced that a certain priest went down the same way, and seeing him, passed by. In like manner also a Levite, when he was near the place, and saw him, passed by. But a certain Samaritan, being on his journey, came near him, and seeing him, was moved with compassion. And going up to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and setting him upon his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two pence and gave to the host and said, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou shalt spend over and above, I at my return will repay thee. Which of these three, in thy opinion, was neighbor to him that fell among the robbers? But he said, He that showed mercy to him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do thou in like manner. Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain town, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who, sitting also at the Lord's feet, heard his word. But Martha was busy about much serving, who stood and said, Lord, hast thou no care that my sister hath left me alone to serve? Speak to her, therefore, that she help me. And the Lord answering said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and art troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary hath chosen the better part, which shall not be taken from her. Now, after hearing all of that scripture read, you might ask yourself, well, Father, you told us it was going to be about Mary uh, and Martha in the, in the home of Lazarus. And then most of what you read was about some lawyer asking our, our Lord a question. And it's true that... Um, we kind of went back a little bit, but it's because I think that this incident with the lawyer really lays a foundation and gives us some context um, to what our Lord is going to be saying to Mary and, and Martha later on. So let's begin. Verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up tempting him and saying, Master, what must I do to possess eternal life? So once again, we see this hypocrisy. The lawyer is, is tempting him. He's trying him. He's testing him. Um, and yet he's addressing him as master. He's giving, apparently giving him this respect. 
And we see this behavior all through the gospel. I mean, our Lord constantly being attacked by his enemies. And I would say maybe from this, something that we can maybe apply in our own life is to be careful about trying to trip others up when they're doing good, especially as regards uh, a spouse or children or confreres. We're there to help one another. We're not there to snipe at one another or to police one another, so to speak, but we're there to help each other along. And so we don't want to do anything that's going to be any sort of stumbling block or, or snare, trying to entrap people, asking questions that we already know the answer to in order to see if we can catch them in a lie or something along those lines. Verse 26, but he said to him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? So the lawyer is asking about gaining eternal life, and our, our Lord turns the question back on him. And one reason perhaps why our Lord does this is to draw um, this lawyer's attention to the inf insufficiency of the old law. Eternal life was not so much referenced in the New Testament. It was something that was hoped for, but remember that under the old law, it was a much more materialistic. If you do this, and you do that, and you do that, well, then you will be your pe my people, and I will be your God, and I will give you these earthly blessings and all of this sort of thing. So the Old Testament was very much bound up with material or earthly blessings, and the spiritual blessings, we might say, were secondary. Whereas in the New Testament, it is a, an abundance of grace that's poured out, a spiritual life and spiritual rewards that are emphasized, and the material, we can say, is second. Um, it's there to support um, the life of the man and getting him to heaven, but it's certainly nothing primary, and we're going to see particularly in the New Testament how poverty and suffering and the cross and chastity and these, these virtues that weren't so much uh, emphasized in the, in the Old Testament or even somewhat anathema in the Old Testament are now going to be the path that are going to lead men to God, because in doing so, they will be following our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 27, he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and with thy whole soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Now what he has enumerated here are, is really the, the, the two great commandments that our Lord will say sums up all of the law and the prophets. To love God above all things, and one's neighbor as oneself. And we see that the whole man is meant to be dedicated to God. His heart, his soul, his strength, his mind. His mind being his intellect, his heart being the will, the whole soul, we can imagine the imagination, the memory, all of the soul's faculties, and, and his whole strength. So this determination to, to courageously persevere in prayer and persevere in, in the following of God and in prayer. And I think it's worth pointing out here that really our salvation depends on prayer, and especially on the practice of mental prayer. St. Teresa of Avila and other, other saints as well have said that for any soul that will dedicate itself to 15 minutes of mental prayer every day, they say that it's impossible for that soul to be lost. Now, the reason for this is, is because mental prayer um, and mortal sin, which is really the only thing that stands between us and salvation, these two things are completely incompatible. So if we refuse to give up our mental prayer, we're told that sooner or later mortal sin will be eradicated from our life. If, on the other hand, we refuse to give up mortal sin, uh, we refuse to give up the occasion of sin, um, we're not going to persevere in mental prayer. We're not going to keep up our meditation. And so the lawyer has enumerated precisely those um, faculties that we have to be exercising 
um, in meditation as the means to, to attain eternal life. That you you love the Lord your God with your whole, your whole heart, your whole soul, your whole strength, and all your mind. We use our mind to, to, to reflect upon these truths of our faith. And then naturally, of course, as we said on the first conference, our will is going to respond to that truth when we consider it. Our imagination, our memory, and all of the soul's faculties are going to be brought into play. And then, as I said, with all of our strength, that determination to persevere in prayer that is going to be um, a very powerful means in getting us to heaven. And our Lord Jesus Christ approves his answer in verse 28. And he said to him, verse 28, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. All who persevere in prayer, God will bring to life. Verse 29, But he willing to justify himself said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? If we read certain scriptural commentators, they tell us that this seems to have been an ongoing debate with the doctors of the law. Are my neighbors only my fellow Jews? Are they only um, my friends? Um, are they only those from whom I've received a benefit? Most of the, the fathers of the church say that, in fact, all those who are in need are our neighbors. St. James says, if any man have the substance of the, the things of this world, and he see one in need and says, Go, be warmed and filled, and does nothing, that man's religion is vain. Religion pure and undefiled before God and men is to help widows and orphans in their tribulation, and to keep oneself unspotted from this world. And our Lord, to illustrate this, he gives us this beautiful parable of the Good Samaritan. Verse 30 to 33. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who also stripped him, and having wounded him, went away, leaving him half dead. And it chanced that a certain priest went down the same way, and seeing him passed by. In like manner also a Levite, when he was near the place and saw him, passed by. But a certain Samaritan, being on his journey, came near him, and seeing him, was moved with compassion. Now here again we can go to various scripture commentators who are going to help us to, to understand the, the symbolism uh, in this parable. So the priest and the Levite, obviously these represent the, the Old Testament, and our Lord is showing how the Old Testament was unable to bring men to, to salvation. It was meant to be something that would prepare the way for the Messiah, who was going to be the true Savior. This certain man that falls among robbers, um, we're told, is Adam, of course, in his fall. Jerusalem, then, would be paradise. Jericho, the name actually means moon, all right? So it's a, it's a desolate place. It's a place of trouble, a place of sin. The robbers that fall upon Adam, of course, are, are the devil, first and foremost, but also the world and the flesh. These are the enemies of our salvation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The Samaritan, of course, is Christ, which is kind of ironic knowing what Jews thought of Samaritans, that our Lord actually chooses um, a member of this despised race to, to represent himself. Now, they attack this, uh, this man on the road. They attack Adam and they strip him, all right? Um, remember Adam after his fall, he, he realizes that he's naked, but what they really strip from him is his sanctifying grace, and we're told that they leave him half dead. So he has a nature that's, it's not completely dead, but it is certainly wounded. Verse 34, and going up to him, so the Samaritan, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and setting him upon his own beast, brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
Now the oil that is poured into the wounds is Christ's mercy. The wine represents, uh, of course, Christ's blood that, that, is, that is, washes the soul in the sacraments. The beast that carries the man is um, Christ's humanity, we're told. And the end to which the man is brought is the church. Verse 35, And the next day he took out two pence and gave to the host and said, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou shalt spend over and above, I at my return will repay thee. Now the host um, here represents St. Peter, or the, the Holy Father, who is in charge of the inn, so he's in charge of the church. And this, this is um, this symbolism, if you will, it's a kind of allegorical. This is the opinion of many of the, the fathers of the church, among whom are, are Origen and Jerome and Ambrose and Augustine. Verse 36, which of these three, in thy opinion, was neighbor to him that fell among the robbers? So Christ is trying to bring the man to the truth, again, by asking him questions, as he did even as a, as a small child in the temple, listening and asking questions. Verse 37, But he said, He that showed mercy to him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do thou in like manner. So the man has learned the, the lesson that Christ was trying to teach, but he can't simply stop there. Christ says, Now, now that you know, it's time for you to act. So the will, as we said, it follows the intellect, it follows the knowledge received. We gain the knowledge and then the action must follow. As we said in the, in the last conference, um, what our Lord said about not only knowing these things is going to make you blessed. As our Lord said, if you know these things, you shall be blessed if you do them. So now we've come to verse 38, and it's here that we're going to be entering the, Mar the home of Martha. And before we begin, I, I always like to, to preempt this, um, well, this conversation, this conference, at least, um, by saying, first of all, that we, we don't intend to say anything bad about Martha, all right? Thank God that the world has Marthas. If we were all Marys, nothing would ever get done, right? Um, and yet, we see that her priorities are somewhat out of whack, and we see that um, she allows um, her virtues to actually move her to act in a bad way, all right? And if God allows this to happen, um, it is for our instruction so that we can learn from her. But again, this is Saint Martha we're talking about. All right, good woman. We love her dearly. But let's begin. Verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain town, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. I thought that it was interesting that uh, it's her house that our Lord goes into. Later, it seems that Mary and Martha and Lazarus are all sharing the same house. And I've often wondered if perhaps Martha had a house of her own initially and perhaps sold it um, to move in with Lazarus. Maybe after he had um, died and, and been raised to life, perhaps she felt like he needed to be taken care of. Perhaps she sold her home, sold her possessions in order to give the money to our Lord to support him in his ministry. Who knows? But at this point, she, it is her home and she is the host. So she's named as the host. Perhaps this, uh, this party, this get-together um, was her idea. And, and certainly Martha, she loves our Lord Jesus Christ and she wants to serve him. Um, like any woman, she wants her social event to be pleasant. She wants it to be memorable. And of course, this desire causes a certain solicitousness, which causes stress and we're going to see it's going to end up moving her to behave in a way that, let's just say, is, is not ideal. And this certainly can apply in our own lives. I mean, we have 
an idea. You know, we conceive an idea. I've got this great project, this great undertaking, this great idea. And certain people are not on board with it. You know, maybe they're not being as supportive as I think that they should be. And it leads then to stress and ultimately anger. And, and just like Martha, we can start lashing out. So it's kind of hard to condemn Martha when we see that very often we can, we can fall into the same snare. Verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary, who sitting also at the Lord's feet, heard his word. Now, most of the fathers of the church consider um, this Mary to be Mary Magdalene. At the beginning of chapter 11 of John's gospel, we're told that the sinful woman who anointed our Lord's feet at the home of Simon, the, the Pharisee, was precisely Mary of Bethany. And Bethany is the, the home of Mary and Martha and their, their brother Lazarus. And right now we're in Luke's gospel, um, chapter 8, and at the beginning of that gospel, if you go back and read the first um, four verses, um, it mentions there Mary Magdalene, and um, that out of her seven devils were gone forth. Many are under the opinion that it was precisely Mary Magdalene who was um, brought to our Lord. She was the adulteress that was, that was brought to the feet of our Lord when he was drawing in the dirt. And we recall how our Lord told Simon um, that to whom much is forgiven, that that person loves much. And we certainly see that in Mary sitting here at, at our Lord's feet, which is exactly where we want to stay during our meditation. Verse 40, but Martha was busy about much serving who stood and said, Lord, hast thou no care that my sister hath left me alone to serve? Speak to her therefore that she help me. Now notice, our, our Lord is reclined at table. Remember in the Old Testament and the, the Hebrews at that time that the tables were very low to the ground, maybe maybe six inches off the ground, and the food and, and dishes would have been placed there on that table. There would have been cushions arranged around the table, and men would have would have lain um, on their side, you know, propped up on an elbow, and with the other hand, then would have been free to feed themselves. In that position, it's easy to see how, how Mary could have gone and anointed our Lord's feet if he's reclined at table in, in such a way. But our Lord is lying there. He's enjoying the, the feast, and, and Martha is standing over him. She's, she's raised herself up above our Lord, and she's, you know, we, can, we can see her standing there either with her hands on her hips or you know, shaking her finger at our Lord. Um, this is something she would never have done, I, I firmly believe, if she had not let her anger build and get the better of her. How often have we seen, you know, maybe, uh, you know, certain certain uh, faithful, you know, lashing out at the priest and then realizing later, gosh, you know, I, I'm sorry, Father, that, that, that wasn't very respectful. And of course, it was because they were upset about something. It's understandable. But we can see in this how, how anger or any passion, how it blinds us and leads us to do things that we should, we would not normally do. Now notice um, what how she addresses our Lord. Have you no care? This is God that she is addressing. This is the second person of the Blessed Trinity. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. And she's doubting his love. She's doubting his care, his solicitude for her. And this is a snare we can fall into as well when we are tired or fatigued or upset or overwhelmed. We begin to think that God doesn't even care about us. You know, later in the, uh, with, when the apostles are in the storm and they're, they're going to ask our Lord, you know, you know to, to save us, we perish. And do you, do you not see that we're drowning? Do you not care? We'll see and hear from Martha again on the death of her brother Lazarus. And you remember how she sends word letting know our Lord know that Lazarus is sick. 
And when he comes, you know, she says, if you had been here, my, my brother would not have died. And I've always understood that as kind of a profession of faith. And yet, if you think about her, you put it, you compare that, that phrase to this one here, you could almost see a kind of, you know, if you change the tone of the words, you know, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. I mean, that, that kind of strong, you know, hot-headed sort of, of temperament, it almost could, could, even that could sound like something of a rebuke. We sent you word. Why didn't you come? Do you not care? And again, we know that this is not the case. We know that, of course, of course God cares. Of course he, you know, he, he desires our salvation more than even we do. He doesn't want to see us suffer. Like a parent doesn't like to see their child suffer. And yet we know, you know, a parent knows that sometimes this suffering is good for the child so that they can learn virtue, so that they can learn perhaps a lesson, so that they can grow in, in virtue. And so too, if God allows these trials or crosses or tribulations in our life, um, it's always for our good. Notice too how what, what she says to our Lord. She, she commands him. He, she tells our Lord what to do. Speak to her, therefore, that she help me. Now, when we pray, how often do we do that? We have some problem in our life and we, we pray, Lord, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this. I'm having trouble with somebody at work, so Lord, you need to get rid of this guy. You know, we, we, we have the problem and we already have the solution figured out. When really that is not the way that we should operate. Remember Mary at Cana, she has a problem. She has these, or these, these people, you know, they're out of wine. Mary's trying to solve their, their problem. She doesn't go and say, hey, you need to, you need to make them wine. Or she doesn't say to them, um, to, to our Lord, you know, you need to send your apostles to go get them some more wine. They drank up all this wine and they need to fix it. She doesn't do that. Our, our lady says they have no wine. She informs our Lord of, of the problem and she leaves it to him, you know, resigned, of course, to his will, how it's going to be fixed. So again, we want to be very careful when we pray not to dictate terms to, uh, to our Lord or dictate how this, this problem needs to be fixed. We see that, you know, our ways are not God's ways. And we're told that my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is what God says to us. And so, um, yes, let us, let, us, <laughs> let us know our place and stay on our lane, so to speak. Verse 41, And the Lord answering said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and art troubled about many things. Um, I wonder sometimes why our Lord said Martha twice. Is it, is it just like maybe you or I would say, oh, uh, you know, Martha, 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 oh gosh, what am I going to do with you? Or was it rather our Lord said Martha and he was trying to speak and she cuts him off or she, you know, she, she interrupts him and he has to say, Martha, you know, is it, why, why is it twice that he says her name? Is it, is it to stop her, to, to, to get her attention, to make her, you know, listen? When we're speaking to our Lord in our prayer, do we listen or, or do we interrupt? Do we tend to cut him off? Do we allow our mind, you know, maybe to be filled with other things as, as she is told by our Lord that she is careful? Now, now we, can, we can think careful, you know, she's very conscientious, yes, but also we can imagine that he's telling her she is full of cares. She is, is, is too caught up in all of the material preparation to the point that she's, she's missing what's, what's really essential, missing what's important. He tells her that she's troubled, you know, and normally this is, this is a sign of an evil spirit within us. You know, when, the, when our good spirit comes, when the Holy Ghost comes, when 
our guardian angel, you know, works on our soul. This is, you know, comes in with the discernment of spirits. They bring peace. They bring consolation. And this, this trouble, this agitation, this anxiety, um, that's usually a sign of, of, of a, the, the activity of the evil spirit. She's pouring herself too much, uh, pouring herself out too much in the, the external activity. And our Lord tells her that really only one thing is necessary. Verse 42, but one thing is necessary. You're, you're, you're troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary hath chosen the best part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, this is why I, I wanted to, to look at the incident with the lawyer right before the incident here with Mary and Martha, because our Lord has told her only one thing is necessary, and that takes us back to the lawyer's question. This one thing necessary is to learn and comply with the will of God, to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, with, with our whole soul, with all our strength and all our mind and our neighbor as ourself. Martha is definitely not manifesting a great, a great charity towards her neighbor, you know, in, in, uh, in Mary, towards Mary. I like to recall um, during uh, our Lord's ministry one day when he was preaching, remember the woman that cried out, you know, blessed is the womb that bore thee and blessed are the, the, the paps that, that nursed thee. And our Lord says, rather, blessed are they who hear the word of God and keep it. And in saying this, our Lord is not downplaying the greatness of his mother. Rather, he's pointing to what is her true greatness, that she always heard the word of God and kept it. It isn't simply the materiality of being his mother, you know, giving him, you know, the body that he possesses. It's not in the material actions that we that we do for God. It's not that alone, but it's rather the, the heart and the soul and the spirit that is behind that. Now, the fathers of the church see in Mary and Martha the distinction between the active life and the contemplative life. So we might think of the religious sisters and nuns. You have some that are dedicated to the active life. They may be nurses, they may be teachers, they may be doing that sort of administ or any kind of administrative work or something along those lines. And then of course you have the contemplative uh, orders like the Carmelites where they are dedicated first and foremost to meditation, to, to mental prayer, to penance and that sort of thing. And that is a higher state of life than the, the ones who are, are working actively in the world. And even for those who work actively, the, any, any active life has to be preceded by the contemplative life. It is precisely in our union with Almighty God and in the love that we have for Him. That has to be the foundation of, of any apostolate. And it has to be the foundation um, underlying um, the life of every Christian. If you're a, a pilot or a garbage man or a housewife or a, a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, um, what's really important is, is not any of those material things you do, although, of course, our duties of state are the will of God. We have to you know, complete them conscientiously. But what is really important is to have a spiritual life that's underpinning all that and being our guide in how we, how we exercise uh, whatever you know, duties of state we have, doing all of these things for the love of God and the love of neighbor. So that's it for Mary and Martha. Take care and God bless you.